What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Church in the Wild podcast. Today, we have my good friend Adrian Crawford stopping by to talk a little bit about Black Panther, Hollywood, and a little bit about this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Hope you all enjoy. Adrian Crawford, you are the first returning guest to the Church in the Wild podcast. How does that feel? Man, I feel just, I mean, it's such an honor. I mean, I've... You know, I've had a few honors in my life, but I don't know if there's one greater than being a recurring guest <laughs> on the Church in the Wild podcast. Especially You're by popular demand. Pop- popular demand. Man, you know, yep. man, I tell you what, the streets, I don't know, man, the streets rock with me. So the streets, I got to give, give the streets what they want. So if the streets want me back on Church in the Wild, then I got to be there. You got to give the people what they want, man. That is just the flat-out <laughs> truth, right there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you you were the uh, you're the most popular episode that we've recorded so far. People tuning in and just hey. uh, love the prerogative of the man from Tallahassee. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, man, we're just trying to get it done. You know, just trying to hey, we're trying to get people. Uh, you know, getting the church more in the wild. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you are That's literally right. in the wild, and so I am uh, literally in the wild. You are in the wild. Yeah, so. yeah I'm pretty literally in the wild. I'm indoors today, which is a rare thing. Normally, you know, we just put on our bear skins and, and uh, work outside all day. But today's just a little unique. You As know? we're recording this podcast, is it like National like Oregon Day or something? What is it? It is. You know, I didn't even know that was a thing until your people in Florida texted me yeah. uh, asking me to do a little Instagram shout out for like my top three favorite things, favorite things about Oregon for Oregon Day. So I don't know if y'all made that up or what, but... Apparently, I, I helped you all celebrate. Man, you guys, I did, and I didn't know that. All of a sudden, I jumped on our Instagram. I'm like, what, Seth? I mean, I was like, man, did Seth like, get our password and hack in our Instagram today or what? I, just, <laughs> I was driving back. I'm like, what's Seth doing on that? I thought I would jump on uh, Gray City, and all of a sudden, it's like, engage. It's like National Oregon Day. I'm like, hey, listen, Oregon's one of my favorite places to visit. So, hey, I mean, if any place, if, any, if anybody needs a day, Oregon needs a day. So, I'm glad. You need Oregon, a day. You do. We do need a day. You do need a day. Yeah. It falls I'm a lot. I'm just happy to be anyone's token Oregon friend that they need. You know, That's, I'm just happy to play that role. Yeah, so. you know, and it falls on national, you know, it falls on International Women's Day as well, you know. It does it really? Yeah, it does. International woman, women's Day. Yeah, that I'll, doesn't seem right. We should be butting in on like half over half the world's population for our just <laughs> state. Yeah, you know? yeah, and then here's the other thing too. You know, let's just go ahead and just give the women just a day. You know, like they haven't. You know, like that's <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you throw them a day for you know just all the hard work you know of just you know leading and you know leading and 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 birthing you know children as well as you know CEOs entrepreneurs you know and suffering as well but you know hey, hey, hey let's go ahead and throw them a day so you know that, that should do it's just like you know giving us you know black history giving us a month right you know it's giving them a short month you know hey that should make up for you know 200 years of suffering that's you know take that month <laughs> It's an interesting thing. Like, I'm not sure whether someone should be honored by the fact that you gave them a day or like the fact that like you want to reduce them down in a sense to celebrate them a day. And we'll just figure out like, yeah, we'll just kind of do everything else, the 364 and you can have a day and you can have a month. Like why you wouldn't just do a greater work to mainstream it in the whole year, but why you. I don't really understand that philosophy. I, I never really have. I never have either. And especially, again, when you're talking about black people, you give us February. Like I said, I mean, literally, we can't even, like, barbecue in February anywhere. Like, I mean, anywhere. I mean, even, like, we cannot barbecue. I mean, it's just like, come on, man. Like, like South Africa or Australia, some some yeah. on the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, you probably yeah, yeah, too, yeah. But, but in the United States of America. Not, not in the States, man. Not in the States. No. Nah, dude, we're we're inside. You know what I'm saying? So, like, all right, hey, take the shortest <laughs> month in a month we can't barbecue. And so, all right, cool. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Many, many stereotypes are flowing through my head right now, oh, but in order man. to avoid racism <laughs> too deeply on the front end here, I think we'll just get going here. Don't do um, that, yes. You, yeah, <laughs> you, you are my main guy to go to when it, when it comes to talking about culture. Um, you, uh, for better, for worse, man, you're, you're <laughs> more or less my sounding board that I have to process everything going on in culture right now. And there's a lot of interesting things going on in culture right now. So I feel like this is going to be a recurring thing, you know, where you and I get to digest a whole lot of things back and forth between, you know, uh, your podcast with the New Rules Project or, or here over at Church in the Wild. Yeah. But there's one big thing that's come out pretty recently that you and I have talked about a little bit, but I think it would be super fun to, to, to get into. And that is, of course, Wakanda Forever, man. Absolutely. The Black Panther movie, it has dropped. It's been out now for a couple of weeks. Um, but the full magnitude of its effect has really been, I mean, it's not unknown anymore. It's fully been felt. It's on its way to become one of the biggest box, offing, box office grossing movies of all time. Um, and uh, it's hard to overstate its impact. Uh, but depending on your cultural background, where you live, like who you live among and so forth, maybe your experience, maybe you just enjoyed it as a good flick, or maybe it was really kind of a world-changing sort of cultural experience to you. So I'll just kind of throw it out to you, like Adrian, like, so the Black Panther movie drops. It's the first representation of pretty much a predominantly almost exclusive black cast. It showcases, uh, you know, a, a black man as uh, an awesome superhero. Yeah. Um, and uh, in line with the Marvel Universe that is already killing it and crushing it and doesn't just kind of play this peripheral story, uh, but is really gets his own central story. And it happens to be really good. So um, I guess out of all that, I'm really, you know, I'm interested. And of course, this you don't have to speak for all black people out there, but I'm interested in Adrian Crawford's perspective. What did this movie mean to you? Yeah, man, it was, um, I, I think leading into it, like a month leading into it, I started to get really excited, you know, kind of going in, you know, I didn't know all the fullness, but then when I started seeing previews for it, then I just start seeing a lot of the hype behind it. But beyond the hype behind it, just starting to realize what the cultural significance it was going to be, especially with the fact of having three, you know, African-American children that a lot of stuff that they're experiencing is normal to them now. The fact of the matter that the only president they remember is was an african-american president the fact of the matter they you know they are experiencing a marvel movie that is predominantly african-american i mean they they didn't have to grow up like i did in star wars and and only anybody i could see who i could identify with was freaking billy d williams is lando calrissian you know what i'm saying like <laughs> the colt 45 man that's all i can like that's all i could identify with um that they don't get to do that and so that part is huge um for me i mean me and my wife and then on top of that i think it meant so much because then going in there, it was this fact that one, many times, and again, as African Americans, we can do this, it was not overly like sexualized by any means. Many times, you know, a lot of movies that even black producers do, they over sexualize it, which again, I think sometimes just, just puts on just, again, for me, it doesn't display African-Americans in the right context at times um, as well. Like it wasn't a movie like Boys in the Hood or New Jack City or Menace to Society or something like that to where it's, it's depicting real things that are going on or, or straight out of Compton, which are real things and in incredible movies. But it's actually depicting a place and even like Africa where it's not the Africa where we see or third world, but actually just the richness and the beauty of the culture that's there. It was just I mean, it was just phenomenal. And again, it's very hard for people 
who don't grow up, who are not African-American, to understand that, to understand the significance of this moment. Because now, not only do my children can pick multiple characters, but also any children. You know, Seth, your kids can go watch them. Like, oh, you know, I, you know, they could, you know, well, if they want to be, you know, if they want to be the hero or they want to be the villain um, or your daughter wants to be the princess. I mean, there's just so many people that and they're cool characters. They're, they had depth to them. Um, they just did such an incredible job. Very redemptive. I mean, a lot of just redemptive things in there, a lot of storyline. It was just all that being said, it was just a fascinating movie to me um, that I loved. I think uh, you touched on so many different elements of it. I think the best part about this movie, and, and you're you're really painting the picture of it, it was just a good movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you and I are in the Christian world, you know, so we've grown allergic to the idea of, you know, Christian being used as an adjective, you know, when it comes to like <laughs> Christian movies, you yeah, know, yeah, Christian yeah. music. or And it's usually just a way of saying like, yeah, we know it's not quite as good as like a legitimate <laughs> you know, movie yes. or a legitimate, yes. you know, mainstream music. But it's Christian. Therefore, it's like, you know, we should all support it, you know, out of some Jesus cause or whatever. And it's kind of the same way that I see that. Like when you have to attach, like it's a black movie or it's black music or like whatever it might be using that as just this adjective to describe an art. I get it when it's trying to identify culturally with the people, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's some redemptive aspects of that, but then there's also, there was none of the negative aspects of that where it's just being used to, to, blatantly market to a subculture without the quality to really back it up. This was just a good movie, period. You know what I mean? Um, I was having a conversation, actually, with a a good friend of ours, James Lowe, um, not that long ago. And uh, yeah, shout out to James Lowe over in uh, Nash Vegas, Tennessee. Um, But... We, you know, we were having this conversation, and he loved the movie, and it meant a lot to him, obviously, personally, as, as an African-American man and, and so forth. Um, but, you know, I commented to him just how relatable the movie was, how many, like, really universal themes there were in terms of, like, sins of the father and family secrets and just kind of wrestling through just, you know, the you know, the, the skeletons in our closet, you know, from our past and, and becoming who we are, finding our identity yeah. you know, based on the shoulders that we've stood upon and taking the past and realizing it's messy but then trying to improve, you know, there's so many things that I felt like I can identify with in my life. And he looked at me with this look. He's like, really? You know, you as like the white, you can. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And he, he, you know, he had just this, we had just this moment. It's like, wow. Like I think anyone can identify with it just because they did such a good job with it. It's a human story that has, you know, that has African-American actors, that has African actors. It's portraying a story that's, you know, it's predominantly black. Um, but it absolutely is representing themes that can be identified with. You You actually touched on one thing that I thought was phenomenal about the movie, and it's the portrayal of the women in the movie. Yes. Um, strong and not hypersexualized. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Like, yes. like when, like... Talk a little bit about that. Like, I guess what that means, not just in terms of black culture, but even Hollywood culture at large. This just doesn't seem to be the norm. Well, no, and what's really interesting, there's been two movies this year that uh, that's happened. Wonder Woman... And then now yes. Black Panther, where you're like, you see strong. And Wonder Woman was directed by a woman. Yes, too. strong women leading, but not over-sexualized. And that That's means right. a lot to me because of the fact of having two daughters. You know, I have yeah. two daughters. And the fact of, again, being normal, that my daughters can watch something and not see something overly sexualized. They can see, and especially in Black Panther, you know, they can see, you know, again, his sister, the princess, was incredible. She may have been my favorite character in there because of the fact that she was, I mean, she was smart. 
She was funny. Um, she added such value. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. But also the other women being involved and fighting and leading, but also- yeah, they were warriors. Yeah. They were warriors, but then also realizing as well, just kind of like, you know, seeing the sense of loyalty and commitment. It's just, I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that I think at times, I mean, raising, you know, young girls in my home and especially like, you know, my, um, my middle child, which is my oldest daughter, she just is a natural just leader. I mean- just, you know, she's just going to be one of those people where she's just going to lead. You can just see it on her life. She just, and it's not that she tries to, she just naturally wants to do that. And for me, her being able to see something like that, but being able to see it where she doesn't have to be a man or act like a man or try to be masculine or, or even have to like, you know, um, kind of be sexual in order to advance. That is something that mm. is really, really important. And I think more portrayals like this is important in our world today, because I think some of the, the, the stuff that we're seeing, we're experiencing, unfortunately with the me too movement was the fact that, that we didn't portray women this way. And that honestly, that women only could get ahead, you know, many times, not because of their skill, or their ability, but because of, you know, um, of sometimes they would have to, uh, to move up the chain to, you know, over sexualize themselves or whatever, <coughs> excuse me. And so I think that that's where, um, it's, it's huge. And I think it's really important, you know, going forward, you know, for, I think, you know, for a lot more of these movies, especially for the young women who are coming up in the world. I agree. I think that the uh, the irony of the whole Me Too movement is that so much of it was being generated out of a lot of the scandals were coming out of Hollywood and coming yes, out of the power yes, players yes, in yes. Hollywood. And, you know, even now with the recent Oscars, you know, and so forth and some of the award shows that are going on this time of year, you know, a lot of lectures, you know, a lot of stuff that's being mentioned of that, you know, a lot of people really preaching against that, you know, in a sense, really condemning it. Um, and it just it's hard. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like it's hard when it feels like Hollywood is, was almost the main purveyor of this, profiting off of this, like um, communicating the value of women in terms of their sexual prowess and, and attractability, like all those kinds of things. Um, it's, it's great to see Hollywood, I guess, move in a better direction, a much more redemptive direction. In my, in my estimation, a much more biblical, godly direction. Yeah. Um, but it's easy, but I don't know about you, but I almost feel the pull of, it's a bit disingenuous to, to pretend that Hollywood wasn't the one creating this cultural moment. Dude, know? It's, but here's the you thing know? though, but Hollywood is always about this and everyone, you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of compare Hollywood many times to like college athletics, right? Everyone says like in college athletics, right? So my father was a college basketball coach. Everyone says all the stuff in college athletics. All oh, kids need to go to school. They need to graduate. Uh, they need to be good citizens, all that stuff. At the end of the day, you can check five of the six boxes, but here's the number one box that has to be checked, winning. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't win, no one cares, right? You have the greatest True. humans on the planet. No one cares. Here's the thing, though, I said with Hollywood. Hollywood's number one thing is profit. Right now, the over-sexualizing stuff like that, uh, it's not producing profit. Now the new wave is, man, the this idea of empowerment of women. So that's the new wave. So it says because it's the new wave, Hollywood's going to go with it because of the financial thing. And they're feeling the backlash of the other stuff. They're, they're hearing a lot more of this stuff. And so now all of a sudden you're right. They've created this monster. And now it's like once you create the monster, you're like, uh, you know, they're kind of like, no, we didn't create that monster. Let's create something else now. And you're like, you created a lot of this stuff. And so 
it's the wave. Just like, you know, all of a sudden when, you know, Mel Gibson did Passion of the Christ, now everybody's trying to jump on biblical theme movies because why? It made a bunch of money. And so I think Hollywood's always going to follow the money. So whatever becomes a new wave next, that's what they're going to follow if it's going to help um, to be a good PR thing, which, again, normally with good PR, um, the way things look normally leads to dollars. And that's really what Hollywood follows. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I think that's very, very true. I think I think the the aspect about it, and this is maybe a little bit more of the cynical Seth coming out. You know, this is the true hey. Northwesterner coming out in me, you know. Um, but I guess I see Hollywood as more than just a profit machine. Obviously, they need the profits. They need the big yeah. mega hits. Yep. They need yep. the big Iron Mans and, you know, the Avengers. They need the Black Panthers of the world. They need all these to really generate a lot of money. But I see it almost in a sense of, like, they seek a lot of these profits ultimately, in my mind, that the movie makers themselves have agendas that are often not nearly as profit-driven as I think the movie companies themselves. I mean, they mm. want to see profits. But if you, yeah, I yeah. guess, if you want to look at the the broad spectrum of all the movies that were nominated for like the Oscars this year, a lot of them didn't uh, gross that much money. In fact, there was actually a joke that Jimmy Kimmel did about that during the Oscars. He said, like, uh, like out of the ten you know films, eight or ten films that were nominated for Best Picture, only two of them grossed over a hundred million dollars. And uh, and then he made the joke that yeah, we don't make movies like Call Me by Your Name to make money we make them to make mike pence mad um <laughs> you know, and it was so yeah i mean this is i think this is part of it i think this really is part of it yes they they need to make money from somewhere but they i think there also is a very real cultural agenda that they're that you're trying to push at one time i think just that the agenda of cultural maybe sexual liberation has just maybe it's gone to the place where it's kind of shown all of its ugliness and what it can produce. It's shown you can't hide the the backside of it, the ugly side of it any yeah. longer. Um, but there's certainly cultural agendas that are going behind Hollywood, and I think for good and for bad. I think some of them are good, uh, and some of them, you know, maybe I have might some nuanced disagreements with. Um, but uh, I that kind of seems to be the the genuine nature of the of the Hollywood community. I mean, make as much money as we can while at the same time take as many jabs as we can. No, and you're, uh, in and the you're, process. And you're absolutely right about that. I think that's that's a fair statement to make is that, you know, it's kind of whoever is pushing. Because, again, many times, you know, it's not our politicians um, who really are pushing culture forward. It's really not. Politicians, no, not. all they, not at all. They, they, all they are is just they're elected officials that where many times Hollywood actually is the group that is pushing certain cultural things forward. And, and I think that what happens is that, you know, it's, it's always interesting. Yeah. Like Hollywood, all of a sudden they've created this animal. And now all of a sudden they're like, they're, you know, it's like you said, it's disingenuous because they're coming out like raving against and you're like, you're the ones who created this monster of what it is, you know? And so, um, yeah. So anyway, I think that, um, I, I am a hundred percent with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, let me, uh, let me jump into this for a second. A couple more kind of specific dynamics of the of the Black Panther phenomenon. I mean, there's a couple of things about this movie. And, and again, we're going into a lot of details here. So if you haven't seen it by now, that's your own fault. You know, these are full-on yes. spoiler yeah. alerts. Yeah. Um, but I think my favorite part of the movie, Adrian, uh, was the villain of the story, uh, Eric Killmonger. Yes. Uh, I, I, I mean, Michael B. Jordan happens to be, he's, he's been one of my favorite actors for a little while now. I've been watching him ever since he was on Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Yeah. Um, and he crushed it there as uh, Vince. Um, and uh, I, I found that his character as a villain was so layered and nuanced and even sympathetic to a degree. I yes. Think, 
um, he was fundamentally wrong, but you could understand where he was coming from. You could understand his pain. And there was at least some dimension of truth behind where he was coming from. Um, obviously, his, his dad had been killed by the Wakandan king. His dad was the brother of the king, and so the king was his uncle. Um, and he, so he was the, co- the cousin of T'Challa, you know, the true king of Wakanda. Yep. Um, and he came to take over that power because he saw the isolationism of Wakanda and wanted to de-isolate it and use all the technology and weaponry of Wakanda in order to liberate all the other, you know, you know, Africans, African Americans around the world that are being oppressed. Yeah. Um, and he's coming from a historical place of acknowledging um, colonization and acknowledging slavery, acknowledging oppression. Um, and it kind of seems to play off kind of the the sort of historical tension of like the Malcolm X versus the MLK. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two guys that are trying to address the same problem, but are coming at it from two very, very different angles and perspectives. I was, I was kind of wondering kind of how, like how you kind of saw the inner, the, the villain himself and you know, yeah. what, what thoughts you have on that? Yeah. I thought, I mean, again, I thought Michael B. Jordan, I mean, I thought he was phenomenal. I thought, uh, you know, Eric Killmonger, honestly, is one of the best villains. I mean, I've had some people say, I mean, I've had some people say, man, there's their favorite villain since Heath Ledger in The Joker. Maybe not, you know, they're not saying hmm. at the acting level, Heath Ledger. That's was saying a, a lot. That is, Heath Ledger was just, you know, he was unreal in that. But the saying, like, but villain-wise, because, again, I think any great villain, I think any great villain, you can sympathize with them. Like, there's a sympathetic side of you with them that makes you like, oh, I don't agree with you doing this, but I understand why you do that. And so I thought with him... But I think, you know, I'm, I'll be honest with you. As I was sitting there watching the movie after, as I was telling my wife, I actually believe that this movie is a lot more prophetic than we may give it credit to be because I think this will be in the next, in the years to come, I think this will be in not the extreme of, again, Wakanda is this, you know, make-believe place, but that actual struggle has happened and this struggle is going to happen again is that as the as black people continue to rise to power what will we do with the power that's been given to us that will we take the power that's been given to us to actually to not to go into empower all people or will it be to use that power to go and to become the thing we once hated which is to now use that power to enslave others to use that power to push others down because, again, I'm all about pulling culture up, but we have to be careful because there's that fine tension that, you know, just like Eric Killmonger, you can use your I mean, so you can use your power, your gifts, your skills to just go out there and to honestly oppress people to help bring in liberation to other people, but actually oppress people while you're trying to do that. I tell people all the time for me in leading different organizations and businesses, one thing I could do as an African-American man with power that I could take that power and I could just only empower people who look like me and then say, you know what, somebody who's white, I'm not going to hire them. I'm not going to do anything with them. Why? It's because I'm only going to pull my people up. Well, that is no different than what used to happen to us um, coming up. And I think that there's a real nuance to uh, to the situation because I think that this is going to be a dilemma that African Americans fall into and this is kind of a debate I get into a lot with uh, other African Americans because some people will say that for me even when I say like man we cannot let's be careful that we don't become the thing we once despise I can be seen mm-hmm. sometimes from people as an Uncle Tom because they're like you know right now it's the whole thing of being for the culture black excellence all those things which I am all for but at the end of the day as a Jesus follower, I am underneath a different kingdom and the kingdom that I'm underneath is this idea of that I take the power that's been given to me to empower whoever 
God puts in my pathway and in my sphere. And so for me, it's a bunch of different people, uh, Latin Americans, I mean, to, you know, African Americans, you know, white Americans, uh, people from the nation of Panama to uh, Japan. I mean, God has just put a lot of different people around me and my job is to empower them. And so I think when I saw that, it made me think a lot about, I think, where we're headed as a nation a little bit, that I think mm. we're going to come to a little bit of a point. Um, now, I'll say all that, and then I'll kind of let you jump into this. I think that we got to be – we. <laughs> we got to just we're not there yet so i think you got to keep pushing black culture forward some to begin to make i think these movies like this are giving black people more of a real a, a real voice a real power and culture but once we get there we continue to climb we've got to be careful that we don't use that to just ultimately to just become the thing we want to despise yeah that's really well said i mean i I know you and from our friendship, I know the heat that you have taken on, on all sides, yeah. you know, and you can kind of tell a lot of times being faithful to Jesus is holding attention that seems to get you attacked from right and left and black and white and so yeah. forth, you know, and when you're serving a higher, higher king than just kind of the cultural gods, you know, at play, I know that can often happen. And I know that's been a real struggle for you. Um, yeah, I find that, uh, there has to be like, so the final scene to me is what really sticks out with Eric Killmonger. You know, that's the one that just clinched it for me. I'm like, dude, this, dude. this character is cold. And I mean, dude. just like, dude. he's amazing. Yes. Like that, that whole line he dropped, like, I'm going to be like my courageous peoples, my forefathers dude, that yes. had the courage to commit suicide by jumping off the boats rather than be enslaved yes. on the other side of the ocean. Yes. You know, however that line went, you know, that was, that was a gist of it. And then, and then he committed suicide there rather than allowing T'Challa to save him to save his life um and it was one of those moments where you're like jeez like, Dude, <laughs> I I'm like well i guess that's one way to go out that's <laughs> insane that's incredible like it's it's so incredible wow. it really is and it's that idea i'm actually sitting and looking at it and it's like that quote man bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from ships because they knew that death was better than bondage let me tell you this he said that wow and it's like those are one of those like yeah if you're gonna i gotta be honest with you your jaw you're, drops yeah your jaw drops yeah. that's like if you're gonna die like you just said that's the way to go out like let's drop the mic like there's no again over there's nothing else to say like i mean you're going out like in just an incredible way but it's so but it's it brings reality to that that like you know when you study you know um that was my favorite class taken um you know african-american history to 1865 um had an incredible teacher here at florida state maxine uh, professor maxine jones and, and and dr jones was i mean she's world renowned in what she teaches but man when she teaches on just the the passage and the passage from, you know, coming from Africa to the States and what African-Americans went through. And when you really understand the absolute atrocity of it and realizing people were willing to just say, I'm going to die, then go put in bonds because of what they were facing. It just, it's, it's a completely understandable. It's completely yeah. understandable. And it messes with my, you know, at times I think it messes with my theology. I'm like, what, like, you know what I mean? Like as a Jesus follower, you're sitting there like, yo, these people like, yeah, some of them, like, legit, like, committed suicide. I mean, she tells us one story of where one slave legit, were, like, while they're on the boat, grew their nails out and kept slitting their, like, grew their nails so long they kept slitting their wrist because they wanted to die. They couldn't figure out how they were doing it. It's because they grew their nails so long that they literally at night would dig to try to sever their veins. And you're like, how horrendous of a life that mm -hmm. would be, you know, to do that. And so that line was so significant 
because I think for him, he just understood. He had lived, you know, the truth about it, he had lived in bondage. I think uh, Eric Killmonger had lived in bondage to the pain of his past for so long. You know, he had lived in bondage of just that fact of the hatred, the the anger. And so for him, it was like, man, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to live Couldn't anymore. let it go. He couldn't let it go. And, and I think that he was like, man, I'm going to at least, you know, if I do that, I can at least be free. And so, um, yeah, that line right there, I mean, that, to be honest with you, man, that is hands down one of the most powerful lines I've ever heard in a movie. Like when I heard yeah. that, it was like, I mean, it 100% put chills in my spine when I heard that line. Yeah, I I don't know if I can like really resonate with it as powerfully as I could if I was black, but I can still say that it yeah. sent shockwaves through me hearing it. And I think as a pastor and as someone who deeply cares about, you know, you know, representing the full kingdom of God in a multi-ethnic way as a church, like I, I still th- see that moment. I see the power of what's saying. I see the historical reference. Yeah. I identify, you know, what he, idea he's going for. And yet I still, just like you say, he was under the bondage of his bitterness, of his hatred, and his past. And he, what he claimed to be freedom was really just his own form of slavery, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you and I both know as pastors that you can be enslaved by your past. And the idea of forgiveness or healing or redemption or moving past a moment when you are fueled by hate and anger, when that fuels you for so long, um, it can be the scariest thing to let go of and to actually step into a place what the Bible would actually call freedom, where you actually find uh, not only redemption for yourself, but forgiveness for others and, and new life in Christ through the cross. And you identify with a, a Jewish man who was both oppressed and murdered by the powers that be and yeah. offers new yeah. life, you know, as, as he forgave those who were crucifying him, he now says, you know, unless you forgive others, I won't forgive you, uh, but offers you a powerful mechanism to really overcome what has overcome you. And so it really reminds me of just how important a better narrative has to be. Yes. That I, this, isn't in, this isn't in any way trying to, to attack or contradict the historical narrative of what was. That was that was a, a 100% there. But to say here and now, how do we move forward and how do we, just as you're trying to articulate, how do we not become the very thing we despise? Yep. That to me is what's huge. That to me is what T'Challa represents because I saw him embrace and really in that moment, you saw him look at Eric Killmonger differently. Yeah. And you really saw him, I think, begin to respect where this man was coming from and it even changed the way he viewed even the status of Wakanda in the world and obviously he opens it up and is now going to start sharing resources and so forth yeah and so it's it's kind of one of those moments where he he embraced the truths of where he was coming from but there was also a better narrative at hand that true freedom was not going to be in the hatred and repetition of violence um, and bigotry and so forth but it was actually going to be the spread of healing and love and justice you know from it Um, again like just an incredible movie that it's, it could go in all those layers. It's, it's it's all. I mean, just the layers. I mean, even the simple fact that I actually talked about this in a video I did is that the fact that you know, even in what you can learn from it is that you know, even say like in the church space, and you know, I mean, you have these conversations a lot. Is that one of the I think detriments? Um, even in the church space, and I think in, and I shouldn't say that it's we talk about it in the church space, but it's in other spaces as well. Is the fact of holding on to old tradition, holding on to traditions, the traditions that need to be held on to, but also progressing and moving forward. And I think sometimes that's always the tension. It's the tension of the old and the new, where it's like the tension of holding on to things that need to be held on to, but then letting go of things that don't matter for the new thing. And that's what was happening in Wakanda. You had this old generation that did not want to, even his father, that did not want to 
to share what they were doing to the rest of the world. They wanted to protect and to keep. And a lot of times we say a lot in the church space. We want to protect. We want to keep what we have. Let's no, let's not make it, you know, if we if we don't take these guards off of it, like, you know, people are going to take the gospel and go crazy with it and, and go, to, go to crazy land. But what I've learned in life is that people are going to do that regardless. I don't care how you try to protect it. People are going to take some, some part of scripture and then they're going to misuse it for their own thing. They've done it since they've done it forever. So it's still going to happen. And so many times we stay in the same place instead of saying, no, let's take this and let's expand it out and let's go. And I think in the world we're living, I think something we can really learn for those who are, who are leading in church is that we are living in times where we want to hold on to the gospel of Jesus incredibly tight. But how we take this out can be is completely different. And it is going to look sometimes to others as if you are betraying or that, yeah, you're betraying evangelical teachings and sometimes i think we're not we're not betraying evangelical true evangelical teaching i think we're actually maybe going against tradition or something that's more of a it's more of a form not the real it's just not the it's not the gospel it's just a form it's a shape it's something it's a you know it's kind of like back in the day when people didn't want you to you, know, you couldn't play a piano in church you know and so now it's like that's a that's a thing that's not the fullness of the gospel and i think we can learn from wakanda because here's what's gonna happen people are gonna come to your borders they're gonna come regardless so you better go Go. And that's been my thing is that that's why this whole idea of new rules is always about pushing out. Why is because, again, if you're not progressing and advancing, you're going to die. People are going to go. And I think so many times that's something to really, really learn from, you know, that I mean, there were so many things I was like taking for that. There were so many leadership points. It was incredible. Yeah, that is one of those kind of universal motifs that I feel like this is the power of representing a diversity of perspectives within yes. the entertainment community, yes, yes. right? Because honestly, if you were just to transplant the idea of Wakanda as like a North American city somewhere in the middle of Canada, you know what I mean? Or somewhere <laughs> in the middle of like Kansas or something like that. Yeah. Um, like it would have struck a little bit too close to home, a walled off city, you know what I mean? That is refusing to share its resources and mm. has a huge immigration problem. And, and immigrants that try to come in are basically like brutalized, if not murdered, you know, mm. when they do so um, and trying to keep to itself. You know, it has a lot of and I think this is the way that cultures swing, right? Like there's you look at American history and you see moments of isolationism and you see what that can lead to on the world stage. And then you look at interventionism and then obviously like you know world war ii is a classic example of that like yeah. you did the step in there um yeah. but then there there are some dark sides to interventionism and 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 maybe our, our presence out in the world which is maybe i don't know and that's where maybe your political leanings will determine like how much of that is good and where the negative blowbacks of that and all that and the rest but these are the motifs that are happening in the world because right now we're living in this amazing it's really this challenging not amazing but challenging tension of nationalism tribalism and globalism that's like the it, idea man. of like a, a borderless world you know, where we're all just going to be brothers and sisters holding hands together, singing Kubaya, you know, and um, like just, you know, down with the, the patriarchy and down with other these political systems of oppression and so on and so forth, right on down the line versus like really like walling off and like really identifying with a smaller kind of close, close knit group of people and becoming culturally isolated, you know, um, and that's it, obviously extremely relevant to American politics right now. Um, and it's only through Wakanda that I think that opens up the lens to really evaluate and analyze that is walling off from the world actually the best strategy for the ongoing flourishing of your own society, let alone the societies around you, man, that's, um, you are, you are hitting spot on. Cause I'm actually reading now 
um, I jumped and started diving into N.T. Wright's book about Paul and writing. And, and again, he makes a statement in there about, and I never looked at it from this perspective, is that if you really look at the gospel and why I think the Bible is so powerful, see why, why I believe so much in the Bible, because it actually in the gospel, it makes sense of the world to me. It makes sense of the world. And the thing that makes sense of the world to me is this, is as I'm looking, reading N.T. Wright's book, the fact of the matter, one of the things he talks about is Paul. You really think about it. Paul was a Jewish nationalist who gets a hold of Jesus and is called to go build a multi-ethnic movement. Like, I mean, in today's vernacular, Paul would have been a white nationalist. If he was in America, he would have been a white nationalist who gets a hold of Jesus and now he's going to start multi-ethnic churches. Like that's the power of what happened and the power of the gospel. And that's why I believe in it so much because it's the only thing that can bring the type of life change that is needed really, really in the world today. And so again, we see that, we you know, in this idea of, you know, with Wakanda and with this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, that motif is so powerful and it's so, in one sense, gospel centered. And I think, you know, one of the mistakes that's happening in our world right now, you know, uh, among the far right is the assumption that we can just wall ourselves off, preserve culture and somehow in the preservation of who we are and keeping to ourselves and, you know, trying to hold on to our past. It's somehow that we can be the fullness of who like we're destined to be. Like it's, it's like, we're going to find meaning and purpose as we pour out blessing, not just hoard it all to ourselves. Right. Um, and, but I think that the mistake of, of the, of the far left is this idea that we can be that diversity can come without tension that we can actually bring diverse peoples of different backgrounds, cultures, worldviews, different ways of thinking, living, so on and so forth. We can bring them all together and it's just going to be this harmonious, beautiful moment. Isn't this great? Don't we look great on a postcard? But you and I both know, like when you try to lead something actually multicultural, it looks awesome on the newsletter. It looks awesome on the webpage and it is not easy in real life. Man, and you're you're right. I say, I'm sorry, cut you off. I say it all the time. Everybody loves the idea of multi-ethnic community. You have to live it. Yes. Yeah, they love it. Oh, well, right. yeah, it's great. And, you know, but when we talk about really living multi-ethnic, we're not talking about, like you said, on a postcard, standing next to each other or sitting in Starbucks next to each other. Like, that's easy. Like, that doesn't cost us anything. But when you actually have to have a conversation, like before I got on this podcast today, I'm having a conversation with a gentleman I, I respect. And, and me and him are having real, you know, he's a, you know, he's a 55, between a 55, six-year-old white gentleman grew up in the South who I'm the first black man he's ever been able to have honest dialogue with with how he feels some of his frustrations he has with african-american culture um he hasn't put in and man it's hard to hear some of the stuff some of the stuff his perspectives are skewed but man what i've realized is that this is a guy who man i'm one of the few people that have an opportunity to lean in to to really like have some dialogue and he says it all the time his daughter is a he's not even part of our church his daughter is a part of our church and he says to me all the time he's like man every time um i have a conversation with you i I learned something new and I'm very thankful for that. But this man, and that's, those are hard conversations because there's moments where he's saying things. I'm like, man, I cannot believe you think that. And it's like, it is hard. And and I agree with you. It is, you are never going to have diverse multi-ethnic communities without struggle and hardship and pain. And I agree with you. That is where the left completely misses it. If there, I mean, like I said, no progress ever happens without struggle and pain just never has. 
And that's where the power of the gospel is for us as, as followers of Jesus, right? Absolutely. That the idea is right. It's actually, there's shades and forms of a kingdom of God vision there, but it's void of the king who actually is the one who dies to, or in order to bridge that gap between cultures to actually bring people together as legitimate, you know, brothers and sisters. But even the biblical vision is a biblical vision of all nations coming together under Christ. Uh, but yet somehow you like maintaining their unique cultural markers. And it's not homogenous. It's unity without uniformity. And that's the vision of revelation. Yeah. Somehow all these nations are gathered together. They're bringing the uniqueness of their culture, uh, the best of their culture that's redemptive that they have to offer in those moments. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, this is, uh, so this, this, this is, this is, this is the tension that we live in. And at some point we have to get out of our bubbles and out of our spaces to really consider, you know, our neighbor, you know, as better than ourselves and to learn from them, empathize, empathize with them and risk the, you know, the monikers that go along with it, the pejorative statements of just being an uncle Tom or a sellout or whatever might, you might have from that process. Um, but like I say, like it's a whole different ballgame. If this is just if this is a movie of predominantly white actors dealing with the same thing, it's going to elicit a different reaction from both sides of the political spectrum. This might, um, and so I appreciate that this movie is able to push that conversation forward, challenge it, and and like um, and and I think help us to think through it in a different lens. I think that's that's really really helpful. And to me, it really all comes down to man, our world just needs a lot better narrative than what it has. Because as much as I appreciate the movie, kind of the final conclusion of hey, like. Okay, all of a sudden they're going to start investing in education in the inner city. Like, okay, all this is like good stuff, you know, but it's not stuff that hasn't been tried, hasn't been done. And as important as it might be on one level, I know we need something. I know we ultimately need something more powerful than that, that doesn't just have the ability to educate minds, but has the ability to transform hearts. And this is what I really believe the gospel do, really can believe that Jesus can do. And it's going to involve us needing a, just a much, much better narrative than just being simple, simple, you know, victims and oppressors. We need to understand sin. We need to understand the sin in our own heart. Uh, and we need to understand the power of forgiveness and healing and redemption. Um, and that is the biblical narrative, which starts with a group of slaves being brought out of Egypt and then finding themselves just because you brought the slave out of Egypt didn't mean you could get the Egypt out of the slave, you know, yes. and you, you, you have people that are really walking out their redemption, looking just as wicked and rebellious as the people they were rescued from. Um, and so I, this, is, this is the human story on, on repeat. And, uh, and so I, I'm just with you wholeheartedly. We have to find a way to write new rules, write a better story. Um, and hopefully, as far as you and I are concerned, doing it in the name of Jesus. Absolutely, man. I think that, yeah, you couldn't have unpacked that uh, even better. I think that like the human story of what we see. And I think that's why, you know, it's one thing my grandfather used to talk about is that, you know, you so see, you know, especially during the time of the civil rights, how um, so many times with Martin Luther King, a lot of preachers of, you know, during those times would talk about the people of Israel and, and African-Americans in that plight. But just like you said, I think, you know, I've, I've always said this is that, you know, Martin Luther King was our Moses, but we've never had Joshua yet. And so I still think at times people, you know, where, you know, we, there was the fight and the battle coming out of the promised land, but now we're in the promised land, but it's the 31 Kings in the promised land of African-Americans walking the promised land to take rightful territory. And what I mean by that is that walking in the fullness of what God actually has for African-America as a people group. And that's just not as isolated, but that's actually with other people who do not look like us at all. And I think that that's been the thing we've never, you know, this idea of what you're saying, just that tie in of just in slavery and the gospel and all that is just because I think we have to be willing to be people who um, looking for the next generation of Joshua's who can actually lead people into 
the promised land um, and doing it together, not isolated. And I think that's the danger that we're going to be running into because our hearts are wicked and our hearts are broken and our hearts are going to um, not forgive. Our hearts are not going to want to forgive. Our hearts are not going to want to um to believe the best our hearts are going to want to isolate our hearts are going to want to build our own worlds and 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 to shield us off from um the pains of what's happened you know there's real things there's real pains that's happened and so many times we're going to form things that kind of shield us from pain but i actually realize that if you're ever going to move forward you're going to have to lean into that pain um and even if you feel even if somebody treats you the way somebody in the past has treated you that does not mean that every person is that way and you got to consistently keep leaning into it shake dealing with those things shake them off but continue to press forward with that vision i think that martin luther king gave us is that you know that all men are created equal and he talks about a, a, a land that one day we will all be in there that again that people will be judged not on the color of their skin but the content of their character and that then they're doing it together and so i think it's just a really important time we're living in yeah yeah it's super significant you know one of the things that you know i, I mentioned at the front end that the reason i love this movie because i felt like there were so many universal human themes here not just unique to the black experience, but they were spoken through the black experience, though, for sure. Um, and uh, but I kind of want to touch on a little bit as if we hadn't been already in a little bit of controversial waters. Um, there's, hey. you know, the, the, yeah, you know, we got to go there a little bit. So we're, we're a few minutes into the podcast now. So the hardcore people are still rocking with us. But, you know, one of the tensions that this movie brought about was actually some criticism and criticism related to, um, you know, the fact that there there was uh, perceived to be an underrepresentation within the LGBT spectrum. Um, and actually, one another you know fairly popular movie that came out recently was The Greatest Showman as well. It's, it's another phenomenal movie. I think I enjoyed my experience of that movie. I've seen it twice now in the theaters. It was, it's amazing. Um, and it kind of got similar critiques. Um, and both those movies seemed as if they're doing a really good job at telling a human story, creating a relatable human experience. And yet there's, there's, there's a part of the culture that wants it to lean in like into like, I guess more of the direction of embracing some of the cultural progression and patterns in terms of like the LGBT movement at large and so on and so forth. Um, and I guess I'm interested in some of your thoughts on that. You know what I mean? Because this is amazing cultural moment. It's, I think it's great for, for the black community. I think it's great for America in general. And then you have some people saying like, yeah, but you didn't represent this and you didn't go this far. You didn't say enough about that. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think about all that? Uh, my first question becomes, how do we know? Like, how do you know? I mean, you know, cause this is the slippery slope. Like, I mean, how do you know that someone was in that movie who was not is it because there was not a love interest that was there you know what i'm saying like was there not a love i mean like is that the only way we can tell if somebody is you know in that in the you know in the lgbtq you know community um i think the other thing is that it's like everything's not for everyone you know just like um you know i tell people all the time there's moments where i watch a movie and i'm like you know um if i'm watching an old western you know, I don't expect there to be a bunch of black people, you know what I'm saying, playing like a major role in the old Western because black people didn't play a major role in the old Western. Um, I think, and I and I say all that, so I just, I, you know, I really do, I struggle with this a lot. And again, and I don't struggle with this because of, um, 
you know, I have such a heart for the community, you know, for the, you know, for the gay community and the gay and lesbian community because of the fact of my wife and the world that she's in of in dance and things like that. So just having just, I mean, we're just, we're around people, a lot of people who are in the community and, and we have such a deep heart and desire and love and, and, and really good friends who are in that, who are in that community. But I think that sometimes where I have an issue with is when people from, you know, the gay and lesbian community try to compare the plights you know of those in the homosexual community with those of african americans like to me i'm just being honest as an african-american man is super offensive to me because let me tell you mm. this that like you know what you know like you know my ancestors were beaten they were they were sprayed down with water hoses they were chased down with dogs. I mean, they had stakes, their crosses burned in their front yard. Like, there's a difference. And, and I think that when you want to attach that, I just think sometimes, like, it's just, in my opinion, it's very disrespectful to my ancestors. They're disrespectful to uh, people very close to me who suffered through that. And not because I don't have a heart for some of the struggles that's happened in that community, that's happened in the, in the gay and lesbian community, but to compare it to what African Americans have gone through in our American history is, I mean, honestly, Honestly, it's incredibly offensive to someone uh, being African American. Whenever I hear that, I just think it's it's absurd to me. And 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 again, I know that that's not popular. I know some people aren't gonna not gonna like that statement that I made. And if anybody ever takes this and and takes a clip out of it, I won't be the most popular person on the planet. But I'm okay with that because I just think it is. I think sometimes, man, people have to speak truth, and that's my and that is truth to me. Is that you know, listen, you don't have to if with the struggles of a community you don't have to bring in other communities and kind of say well we're just like them you know what i mean it's just not okay you know what i'm saying like it's not like me as an african-american pulling in you know those who went through the holocaust if like oh well you know we're just like jewish people no you know we're not you know what what black people suffer through our suffering can stand on its own just like in the homosexual community, your suffering can stand on its own right. and i think yeah i think that that's that's my issue with that and again Here's what I hope doesn't happen. Here's my fear. I'll tell you this, Seth, is that in the next movie that what I hope that, um, you know, the director and the producer of Black Panther stays true to what he did. And he does not over politicize the next one. He does not start adding all these things to fall to cultural pressures. I pray that that does not happen. I pray he just keeps producing great movie and art because if he produces great movie and art, people are going to show up. And again, that is my one fear that the next movie, it's going to go there to try to to appease whatever. And I hope it doesn't happen because I thought they just produced such an incredible movie um, this time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can identify with a lot of, of what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of what you're saying that I can agree with. I, uh, I actually have, and I don't think you do either. I don't have any problem with like people living in a free country and a free market and wanting to produce movies with any kind of agenda or propaganda or like whatever they, they want. I think people have the freedom to do that. I think we live in an incredible country. We have freedom of speech and people can, if you want to create, you know, call me by your name, or if you want to create a movie that is explicitly wanted to produce a, you know, an LGBT specific agenda or tell the storylines, I, I like, I'm happy for you to have the freedom to do that. I think yeah. you also have the freedom to, not go watch it or to not support it or like for us as christians to try to nuance a stance of saying like hey like we're fully like as followers of jesus like loving and would sacrifice for and do anything we could to ensure the safety and 
and the opportunity for people, no matter who they are, to hear the gospel or to be cared for and loved in society, this all really, really matters. And yet flesh out maybe disagreements that we would have in terms of, of what constitutes human flourishing and biblical definitions and maybe marriage or sexuality, like yeah. uh, given that people still have the freedom to ultimately live how they want to live in our society. And I don't necessarily want that religiously opposed, like, you know, presented through legislation or all those other kind of means. Yeah. But I 100% agree with you that I, we're in dangerous territory where all of a sudden you can't just make a great movie representing something that I think speaks to the black experience, represents, I think, broader themes that, that it can be a popular mass hit sort of movie that everyone jumps onto. And then all of a sudden that we pressurize that moment to be something more that would actually only make it worse. You know what I mean? And they would actually distract the storyline uh, that I think can make it really complicated complicated and trying to balance attention of a very dense story done in a relatively short amount of time. Yes. Um, and so I actually feel bad for the producers and the traject- the directors and the actors and so on and so forth that, you know, once you try to do everything, you'll, you'll end up doing nothing well, you know? Um, and so I, I hope like you do that I, they stay faithful to kind of tell a story that's faithful to the black Panther. Um, that's faithful to, um, you know, what they, what they did in the first movie. Um, and that wherever else that those other storylines need to be told or represented, you know, fine, go ahead and, and tell those storylines. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a little dis- disheartening to me, you know, that we can't all just get behind this and celebrate without saying like, Hey, what about me? And what about my group? And what about my thing? What about my cause? Like, um, I, I mean, I even know that a little bit as a pastor, you know what I mean? The second we were to represent every possible cause that Jesus might stand behind, we'll dilute the power of our church, the vision of our church and the effectiveness of our church to even do that. Uh, and I guess I would hate to see that happen, uh, within the context of a movie. No, like this. you are, you are absolutely right. And I think it's just, it's okay. It's like not everyone can be represented in things, and it, it's completely, you know. But and not in every given moment. Yeah, yeah, and it just goes to like it goes to the reality of what I try to teach my children. You know, I try to teach my children that you know that they are you know when it comes to our family, they are part of a team, and not every moment as a family is going to revolve around you. You know, it's going to revolve around, right? You know, for example, if there's a big dance competition going around, I have to tell my son, this, these moments are going to revolve around mom and your two sisters right now. Me and you are role players right now. You know, like it doesn't, like it has nothing to do with us. We're supporting, but just like we go to his tournament, man, he's the main player and we're supporting him. Or when on Sunday morning, you know, here at church, you know, they're all playing a part where dad has to maybe be the main player. And I think it, it, it sometimes that's our world we're living in right now where, Everybody, everybody's issues, everybody's personality, everyone has to be the star at every point in time. And it's just not reality, you know. And so, man, let's make the main thing the main thing. You know, let's get behind something that's great. But you know this, Seth, but here's the reality, man. Everybody, this is, but I say this, but this has been going on forever. It's human nature is that somebody's always going to have an issue, you know, with something. It's just, and it's, it's sad, but it's always going to be that, you know, now we just get to see it a lot faster and a lot of people's voice we never would have heard. We get to hear now because of the internet and anybody can have a voice. That's the difference. But as far as people complaining, people have always, listen, complaining has happened since the fall of creation and it'll keep on happening. Um, You know, I just hope that people who are leading in these projects don't fall to the cultural pressures. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty crazy moment overall. Uh, Adrian, I'm kind of curious, you know, what, uh, as we kind of wrap things up here, I'm curious as you kind of see things unfolding, 
the repercussions of the Me Too movement, uh, the way kind of Hollywood's, the kind of movies that seem to be coming out, you know, recently, you know, stuff that you're seeing in the entertainment kind of athletic world from your vantage point. Is there any kind of trends that you see happening right now? Anything that you say, especially as a Christian or as a pastor, that is you, like you look at things and it gives you hope, or maybe there's some really redemptive things or conversations that are happening at the moment, things that, uh, things that I guess for you that, that get you get you encouraged yeah i i think that what's what's getting me encouraged is i think that people are actually putting out some really good art that's not that it's 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 i think it's really who they are and it doesn't have to be again like i said overly sexualized and again and i'm not just saying that because again like i'm a pastor i know like hey sometimes in certain places if you're depicting something you have that stuff i mean whatever that's to each their own i'm just saying again as a guy who has young kids man there's just a lot of stuff i want my kids to be able to see and them not be exposed to it just yet you know what i'm saying i love the fact that i can say going to see uh this movie i could take my two older children you know um i can yes. take my two older children and i don't have to like explain things and be like okay you know because again i want my kids to be able to morally you know everybody says well you know they're gonna have to deal with it at some point i'm like yeah but if i don't have to listen i want to give my kids information things when they're when they are capable of handling it and so i do my best to try to help them and shape them and protect them as much as i can um you know and so i think that part's really important so i love seeing that i love seeing the fact of really the the rise of uh of really hollywood putting money behind young um young african-american um you know art and i mean directors and screenwriters. i mean again 200 million dollars went behind black panther i think and and then seeing and then not here's the thing though not only putting money behind that man but then seeing it delivered you know, then seeing them deliver because yes. that's the thing. Because I always tell people, and that's where I'm a big believer. Listen, you can put money. And I says to all my young African Americans uh, friends who I work with. Listen, people can invest in you, but you better produce because again, that's what it comes down to. You better produce. So now this putting 200 million, but again, we're not. Yeah, I didn't even hit China yet, and it's almost close to a billion dollars, and it hadn't even hit China yet. Um, is a fact of like this movie produced. So you know what? There's going to be more people being able to put more good art out there and giving more african-american young men and women who never in the past would have had a chance um they're now going to have a chance from major corporation and major studios so i love that i love seeing in the athletic world a little bit um again even right now in the city i live in is that right now we're only this i believe we're the second um a power five school to have a black athletic director, a black head football coach and a black head basketball coach and people may be wondering well why do they have to be black well, it's because of the fact that it doesn't have to be black. They have to be talented and good. Um, they have to produce, but I also think it means something. You know, again, when you're looking across the board, um, giving these giving these men a lot of opportunity. I mean, many times, you know, again, being a coach's kid, uh, many times, you know, in the past, especially coming up, African-American coaches got really crappy jobs that they had to make work, you know. Um, they had to make work. They had to make the, the, the 10th, 11th, 12th best school. You know, they weren't getting jobs like the Dukes or the Carolinas, you know, um, or the Kansas. They weren't getting, you know, the basketball jobs like that or the football world, you know. I mean, you weren't seeing right away, you know, people getting the jobs like the Alabamas or 
um, you know, or the Georgias. You know, they're not getting these these top tier jobs. But now you're starting to see that. that's why here in Tallahassee, seeing Willie Taggart be able to get a premier job at Florida State. Now again, like I've said, I mean, I'm all for pushing the culture forward. But the number one thing I've I've said, even my conversation with people in our city, you got to win games. You know, you got to win because if you win, then all of a sudden, you know, it'll continue to push things forward. Um, but so I'm I'm seeing those trends. I really like. Um, I mean, I really like seeing. Um, before something I thought maybe it would be later in my life that I would see is seeing some African-Americans really have a shot to really uh, to make a real dent in culture, to be real power players in culture. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with you. I think all that is phenomenal. And I think the tension that that we live in is when you see the increasing opportunity, um, you're going to see more people shine from from various backgrounds. Yes, it's not just yes, going to be tokenism. Yes. You're going to see people who are great at what they're doing. And eventually you're going to see see people people shine. I think the goal, the goal of this whole thing is not to somehow manufacture a system where you create equal outcomes, you know, but you create equal opportunities. And that yes, just allows the cream yes. to rise to the top. And we just have to acknowledge that there's cream, you know, across all cultures, you know, and backgrounds. And um, and I'm, I'm just I'm really encouraged because I think through some of the recent movies that I've seen and maybe that's a bit skewed or maybe that's just kind of a bit uh, not taken into to consideration the, the totality of the whole, but I guess I am hopeful that you know American culture is really going to begin to find you know a collective voice again, and not just be so splintered of advocating of these kind of small little issues and groups all the time. But we're going to find a voice that is advocating for something um, bigger and broader that we can all identify with, jump on with truth and justice, you know, that we can really embrace together. Uh, I guess, I guess that's my hope as, as a Jesus follower, um, that we don't, that we don't just present agendas that are actually going to further alienate us, but we, we can all push agendas, whatever agendas we want. But I feel like a rising agenda that is actually going to pull more of us together than separate us. Um, and I feel like I'm hoping that, that Christians, that the church at large, that we can play a significant role in that. Yeah. Um, not just not presenting maybe our sectarian religious views, but we can actually present the kinds of Jesus kingdom of God sort of vision sort of views that hopefully um, I think can speak into culture prophetically and help it continue to move uh, forward in a vision um, that, that looks a little bit more like the kingdom. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. That is, I, I agree with you. I think it's just, you know, can we now, those who are rising to the top, we begin to really, you know, tear down walls and really build bridges. And I think if we can do that, I think that we can leave, you know, in our generation, we can actually say, man, our, we left this place a little bit better than when we found it. 100%, man. Well, Adrian, I want to just say thank you so much. Your time means the world. It's always fun chatting with you. You always give me a great excuse getting on the podcast here to actually chat with one of my best friends in the world. But as always, man, I just so appreciate your perspective, your thoughts, your courage, uh, even in, in what you're willing to say and voice and the way that you lead. But this is fun, man. We're going we're gonna to have to do this again uh, real soon, man. All right, man. Well, hey, I truly appreciate you always having me on, man. It's a real honor. And, man, uh, you guys are uh, – you're killing it right now with Church in the Wild and, again, uh, hitting on these topics. And I really do. I'm not just saying it because you're one of my close friends, but the fact of the matter is that – um, you know, this could be a topic that you never touch because it really does not affect a lot of your world, um, you know, and where you're at. But the fact that you're willing to go and you're willing to talk about it lets you know, you know, really your heart. And I think that, man, that these are these are the conversations and these are the things that matter um, to ultimately pushing culture forward. That really is a redemptive way. So, man, appreciate all your hard work and, man, look forward to keep doing it. Yeah, buddy. Happy Oregon Day. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs> talk to you, buddy.